It's the Deadline Junkie Screenwriting Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Emiola, Kirsten Porter, and Rand Shammy. Today, we have two guests, Mark Musinski and Alexandra Franklin. They were staff writers on Dexter New Blood, which you can catch on Showtime and Paramount+. Plus. Warning, we might have some spoilers in here about the original Dexter and Dexter New Blood. Welcome, Mark and Alex. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. What is the statute of limitations on spoilers in your guys' mind? Because I, I I think the same thing you just did, but I'm also like, Dexter's been out for almost, or I guess the first season's, you know, been out for like over 14 or 15 years or something like that. It's over. It's fair game for anyone now. Yeah, if you haven't I watched it within- I think it's two weeks. Oh, wow. I was going to say I think any years. episode of TV should be two weeks. Oh, two years. Wow. I was going to say two days. I was truly going to. I was like, if you're not watching your show, you snooze, you lose. (laughs) So the consensus is just two is the answer. Two. Two something. Two something. Uh, Our first question for you guys is how and when did you two start writing uh, both individually and together? Ooh, Okay. Um, I can I can start. I, I actually started writing as a, well, I started writing as a, a young kid because my neighbor down the street's father was a science fiction author, um, a guy named Bill Johnson, who, who recently passed away and it was devastating, um, but he is an incredible author. So if you have a chance to check out some of his work, uh, go do it. And he was sort of the first person that made writing seem like a thing people could actually do. And then I got older, uh, was not very good at writing science fiction short stories and didn't have any conception of like what a writing job would be. And so I went to college for English education and then immediately stopped and then somehow bumbled my way through college, uh, which was in like central Illinois, wound up in Chicago doing improv and sketch comedy. And I was like, oh man, I love this. And my favorite parts of, of the whole process were the, were the writing and producing parts of it. And so I loved doing that. And I, I had always thought about moving to Los Angeles, but um, I'm also visually impaired and Chicago has awesome public transit and LA is famously the opposite of that. Uh, and so I always just kind of thought it, it was uh, a bit of an impossibility. Um, and so, I was, you know, just loving Chicago until one day my, one of my like improv idols uh, showed up, showed up late for a uh, show because he had to pawn his skateboard to make rent. Uh, And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Um, And so I looked around and I was like, TV and movies, I had made TV and movies in high school with friends and it had always been the thing that fascinated me. And I had thought about moving to LA and I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna let just a little thing like a physical disability stop me from achieving my dreams. And so I I packed up and moved out to Los Angeles and I was prepared to, you know, take the bus all the way, you know, an hour and 40 minutes or whatever. Um, And I quickly slammed into the fact that every entry level entertainment job requires driving, which I, which I can't do because of my eyes. Uh, and so I, um, so I ended up like taking other jobs. And, and at some point, the only thing I could find where they didn't ask for a driver's license was a, a part-time student internship at, uh, at Sony. And so I, I, I enrolled in LA City College. So I'd qualify as a student, even though I was like 28, I think at this point. Um, and, uh, and I like, I shaved my beard and my wife helped me buy like clothes that young people would wear. <laughs> um, and, I went, and I went in, but they, but they were amazing. And they were so supportive. They did not realize how old I was until later. And finally, like right at the end of my time there, uh, the head of the department's assistant left. And I was like, oh my God, I've been working my butt off, writing, performing. All I need is this way into the industry. And, you know, hopefully I can make all my dreams come true. And and so I was like, this is my one chance to get a foothold on one of those like desk jobs where you don't need a driver's license necessarily. 
And on top of that, there were people I already knew and loved. And so I, I went in with my resume printed out on like the heaviest paper I could find uh, with a well-rehearsed speech. And I, I was like, I, you know, I've had such a great time working here and I've, I feel like I've grown and contributed and you guys are so amazing. And I was just wondering if you would possibly consider, um, consider me as your assistant. And the head of the department looked at me and was like, oh my gosh, that's great. I wish we knew that because we already hired someone. And that person was Alex. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you befriended her. <laughs> yes, a real M. Night Shyamalan twist. I came to Mark's life by destroying his dreams. <laughs> uh, then made them all come true because all that time you were on your own journey. <laughs> I just asked Mark real quick. Yeah. Over your time there, this internship, did you slowly like start aging yourself? So you started out as like 18 and then by the end you were like 30. <laughs> I wish I was that good about it. No, what happened was on uh, one of the last days that I was there was my birthday and someone in HR knew that and it was on some sort of calendar and somebody, you know, they did like a, everyone's birthday in the month or in the week or whatever. And I was one of them and I was walking out the door on that day. And one of the executives was like, happy birthday. Wait, what, which one is it? I had to admit it in front of the entire office. Incredible. Wasn't the okay. uh, the real blow the fact that this executive was also your age? Yeah, that was her <laughs> response. <laughs> <laughs> and then, to her credit, she's an incredible executive. But she was also like, she was like, oh, I get it. That's why we laugh at all the same things. Uh... <laughs> we grew up in this. <laughs> but, but she was like, you know, I had my first internship when I was 19. So I have like a you know, nine year head start on you or whatever. <laughs> well, Alex, what about you? How did you end up there? Um, so basically I, I've always loved writing. It's always been a huge passion of mine. I was a really shy kid, but I would always get like really high marks on writing. And it was something that I was sort of always encouraged to do. Um, specifically this one English teacher that I had in high school really encouraged me uh, like towards the writing path. Unfortunately, I also grew up in like a suburb of Philadelphia. So like having any sort of job that required writing professionally that wasn't, you know, emails or copywriting didn't really seem accessible to me. So I was just like, okay, well, I know I'm shy. I know I have a strong writing voice. Don't really know what to do with that. I'm going to go to state college and <laughs> drink my face off basically. And <laughs> waste my sweet parents money um <laughs> so um after I graduated I I was like oh my god I didn't even think about what like a, a job like now I have to do something with my life so I graduated and because I was feeling like a little bit lost I ended up and not really knowing what I wanted to do I ended up as a camp counselor uh, I promise this all warps back. <laughs> I really think how meandery this sounds. Uh, I ended up being a camp counselor uh, in New Orleans for uh, high school kids who uh, needed to complete a certain amount of service hours in order to graduate from high school. And um, it was a really great program. It was called Rustic Pathways. So we were down there for the entire summer. And we just, it was five years after Katrina. So we were doing a lot of rebuilding in the ninth ward, which was still still pretty messy at the time. And, uh, and I loved it. I was like truly only three years older than my other campers, like <laughs> becoming like really close with them. And there was this one girl, I think one day we were like sanding a bathroom or something. And she asked me what I wanted to do. And I told her, you know, I've always loved writing. I've always wanted to get into the entertainment business, but I, I don't even know how. And at the time I was thinking maybe I'll go to New York because I have family there. I had a couple of connections there. And she was like, well, actually my mom is this big producer in Los Angeles. Do you want me to give her a call? And I was like, uh, yeah. So this 15 year old girl like called her mom. And at the time I was record, I was like writing a blog about everything. So she like sent her mom my blog and her mom called me 
it was just like, hey, you're a pretty good writer. You know, Gabby really likes you. She says that you're interested in getting into the entertainment industry. Like if you're, you know, if you're able to find lodging and stuff, would you want to come be my intern? And I like absolutely could not believe it. Like truly this 15 year old girl changed my life. And her mom was so amazing and so cool. She's still a badass producer. Her name's Liza Chasen. Um, she produced most recently, I think Lost City. Is that the new Sandra Bullock movie? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was so kind, so great. Um, and through that job, I you know, one job led to another, led to another, to another, um, and uh, all assistant stuff, you know. So I worked in casting for a little bit. I worked at a network. I worked at a studio all the time, like all the way writing my way through, always kind of knowing that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I landed at Sony, which is where I stole Mark's dreams. Uh, but but the happy ending is we did meet each other. We started collaborating, writing some stuff together. And then the first thing that we wrote uh, together ended up getting sold back to Sony, which is our, our matchmakers in the first place. So it's kind of a nice full circle ending to the story that makes me feel less guilty about <laughs> the and part in the journey where we intersect. <laughs> was that your first, both of your first paid writing gigs? So uh, I had done, I had done, I guess, screenwriting specifically. I had done a few, I did like some commercial scripts at one point and I did a couple web series where, you know, where I'd get like $50 and I wrote, oh my God, what was it? Oh, the, you know, the honest trailers, the, the YouTube yeah. series, they had a program yeah. for a while where they'd bring writers in for a week and I got paid. I was brought in for a week and I happened to do the one for frozen, right? When frozen came out. Nice. So I had, it was like these little things and then which were, I were super fun, but uh, but not nearly as fun as like when Alex and I were working together on stuff. Did, were you, before the Disney Channel thing that I was about to say, did you, were, did you do any paid writing stuff, Alex? No, I did nothing paid writing at all. Uh, we did, our, I think our first, first, first thing that we did, um, if we want to, you know, <laughs> uh, break, a, break away a little bit from uh, the narrative that we just told was uh, we, we got hired to um, basically copy for Disney Channel original movies uh, for their promotion. Um, just like really funny bits for the actors of uh I think we worked on the movie zombies and zombies mm-hmm. too so Disney Channel when they're promoting um their their decoms they'll have uh like they'll do fun bits for the uh-huh. actors to do to to promote the movie so we got uh hired to write those bits basically and it was truly one so much fun like I was like oh my god I can't believe I can get paid to do this this is so much fun. Um, did that dip yeah. into your guys's, um, Mark, I know you have a sketch and improv background. Alex, do you also have a sketch and improv background? Yeah. Yeah. I did the, uh, the whole UCB second city run. Uh, yeah. Yep. It's definitely. <laughs> Don't sound definitely. too happy about it. <laughs> I, well, when I think about it, I just think about all of the money that I spent and I, and, and, I really am very, very grateful for it because, you know, it taught me to be a very good listener. It taught me to trust my instincts as a creator. I ended up truly meeting all of my friends, eventually my fiance through it, like could not be more grateful, but it was a hard, it's a hard world. Like that, that world is challenging and political and, and oftentimes makes me sad. (laughs) I think we've all done improv, I think. Mm-hmm. We all know the pain. I took a 101 yeah. class and I never went back. Fran's <laughs> <laughs> only smart one out of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess years after the improv, can you walk us through the process of how you got involved with Dexter New Blood? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so after um, after Sony, uh, the the people there they really went out on a limb to help me get an NBC assistant job. And everyone there was awesome. They helped me eventually, after a couple of years, get a writer's assistant job on a show called Abby's, which was super fun. And I, I got to write an episode for it, which or co-write an episode with our script coordinator, which was amazing. 
and uh, and then it did not go past season one, <laughs> but everyone who worked on it was incredible and so nice. And uh, and but you know, I was like, oh, cool! I made this switch from these salary jobs to a writer's assistant life, and uh, it took me you know five years or whatever to get this first writer's assistant job, and now I have to do that again. <laughs> and so while I was looking for work, um, one of my friends, this guy, uh, Alex Lewis, who's, uh, he's the, I, I had done a bunch of sketch and improv with him. He's in a comedy band called Lou Burger, if anyone's ever heard of them. I think their, their current hit is a song called White People Taco Night. Uh, <laughs> How do you spell Lou Burger? Uh, L-E-W-B-E-R-G-E-R. Okay. It's it's a combination of like some of the band members' names, but they, they were on like Bring the Funny on NBC, and then um, one of the guys that the guy that I knew um, had that was is like the one of the singers and songwriters for it, and so he he had brought Alex into my life. Alex's dad was the line producer on the original Dexter, along with several other productions that were created by Clyde Phillips who was the showrunner of the first four seasons of Dexter. Yeah. And Clyde was looking for an assistant at the time uh, while he was sort of between projects. And I was like, well, hey, I'm between projects too. This sounds great. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and so they, so Alex sort of connected us and uh, Clyde was awesome. You know, he's obviously a legendary, brilliant television creator and producer yeah. and writer. And he was so, he was so generous both with his, like both with paying attention to me as a human being working for him, but also with his, like he would take time to be like, this is why I'm writing the pitch this way or whatever happened to come up. Um, in a way that was like so educational and during the time that I was working for him Dexter New Blood came up as an option and so I, I got to help him work on the the pitch for it I saw him you know go like fly to New York to convince Michael C. Hall to do it uh, you know convince the network that this was the right take like all of those things and it was coming closer and closer and I was like okay I I think this show might actually go. And I'd seen him pitch like a bunch of stuff. And a lot of it was like in the progress, you know, the development process is so long and tortured at this point. Um, but because it's such a famous show that actually had momentum and uh, a drive. And it within about a month was like, hey, we're making a writer's room. And Clyde uh, had also been super supportive in the sense that, he was like, do you guys want to write on this show? <laughs> um, and so we owe him so much for uh, taking that chance on us. That's awesome. Did you um, both watch the original series? Uh, like all I, only a little bit. How much did, had you seen, Alex? Uh, I had seen a little bit of the first season. Uh, at the time, I was like very scared of when it came out of uh, gore or blood and then just got a little bit more desensitized as I got older so when Mark started working for Clyde just out of curiosity I went back and started watching it and was a huge fan by the time I started working on it hey yeah. um well we all are fans of Dexter New Blood we think it's great and especially watching the old ones with the new ones and uh, I'm kind of curious how did the team um the writing team come up with Deb his sister becoming the new voice of reason and taking place of Harry his dad um you know I I'm sure it was I think it was just a Clyde thing from the very beginning um because uh, you uh, know from the very beginning now so <laughs> yeah I'm trying to remember <laughs> unless I'm I unless I'm misremembering that Alex but I feel like no, I it was sort of baked are. into his original original document that he had about what he wanted to do with this uh this season yeah we as a team came into the room knowing that deb was going to sort of take on the role of harry so mm -hmm. um 
you know, when people above you, you know, making the big bucks, make those <laughs> bold decisions, we just sort of get to play and have fun with it. I wish I could tell you that Mark and I, it was Mark and I's idea. But... <laughs> but it's okay. You can say whatever on here. You can tell it's yours. But that, that's one of the craziest things is like being a staff writer is such a, a specific job because you're there to support whatever the showrunner, especially, but you know, this whole hierarchy of brilliant people who have so much experience like I, th I think at one point we added up the years of experience of everyone who was working on the show and it was like 150 or something like that um and a lot of them had worked on shows that were doing you know 22 episodes or even the original Dexter was 12 which seems like a lot in this current ecosystem um and so our job was just to like be there to write anything anyone needed or pitch things that were you know in the positive direction supporting stuff and um I, if I've felt so I don't know I, I guess I keep saying lucky but that's like how it felt to just sit there and be like wow there's so many like the dev decision like so many of the things in that show it was like you're just being handed all these incredible things and they're like great now you know play with them <laughs> Do you have one one thing from uh, Dexter New Blood that was your pitch that you want to take credit for? It's so hard. Well, I, I don't know. I feel you like it's so it. hard because it's all, <laughs> anything gets, it runs through so many people. Okay, before... not that you want to take credit for it, but you're <laughs> like, maybe I sort of kind of pitched it and somebody maybe sort of took it, but I'm not taking yeah. credit. I just kind of sort of was there and maybe sort of <laughs> kind of had a little something to do with it I don't know. it was Could honestly you... like such a hive mind like I know that sounds like so uh diplomatic to say and I'm sorry to like step on Mark but <laughs> it was like such a the room was like so collaborative and to use an improv term <laughs> yeah yes and <laughs> friendly <laughs> that like so much of what we Mark and I contributed we was sort of built all together um i i i can tell you about a bunch of pitches that didn't land those are the ones that stick with you ah uh, yes give me one of those <laughs> oh my god mark can you tell okay can you well okay. so well so we we had come from a mostly comedy background and so we had what and i, I at least i was i don't want to speak for alex but i know coming into it we were like okay we really gotta like because we, we both love drama and love writing drama. It just, we hadn't done much of it other than what, you know, the things Clyde had read of us before, but not in like this setting. And um, and so we, we were really putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to like get the drama stuff. And there, we were talking about the, the big bad of the season and they were like, well, he should be keeping some kind of trophies, you know, like a lot of serial killers do. And they were taking pitches on what the trophies were. And I came in the next day. I think that was like our homework. And I came in the next day and I was like, I got it. Guys, he's a hunter, right? So picture this. And I was so confident. I was like, I fucking figured out how to be a, a like murder drama serial killer writer. <laughs> you, they go into his house, his lodge, and on the walls are animal heads like deer, moose, wolf. And there's just something unsettling about them, but you can't place it until you look closer and you realize every taxidermied creature has human eyes. <laughs> Truly, the entire room was like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I was like so obsessed with, uh, I was doing so much research before, before the job. And I found out that if you like murder somebody and you need to cover up the smell, that kitty litter does it profoundly. Like it is a wonderful cancellation of a dead body smell. And I was just, I don't think I ever pitched it, but I was like always sort of looking for <laughs> like an opportunity to do <laughs> 
Great. I say keep that in your back pocket. It'll come up eventually for sure. Yeah. Next okay. season you'll have cat lady murderer. <laughs> oh my god. I would love a cat lady murderer. I do need that show. Whatever. Okay, write it. The cat litter killer. And I'll pitch it. And I'll and I'll pitch it. I'll pitch the kitty litter thing. <laughs> it feels very only murders in the building. Like there's a lot yeah. of uh Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm from Buffalo, New York, and I love that Dexter had a 716 area code when he called Harrison. Uh, was the series always set in upstate New York? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's short answer. <laughs> he knew, he wanted it to be like that sort of snowy, um, it, like just as far from Miami as you could get, you know, sort of mm-hmm. cool tones and things like that. And I know Clyde uh, has, he has a place in New York and a place in Martha's Vineyard. So he's like very East Coast uh, familiar. And I think he just felt like that would be a perfect setting. And I also think Michael C. Hall was um, really liked the idea of like blood in the snow and the, the contrast there. I love that. I think it, it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. And the sound uh, with, the, with the with the title cards, like that, like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love that. yeah. Those title <laughs> cards are awesome. I don't know how. That's like the saddest part of writing. Is that your in pitch? This... No, yeah, that was it. <laughs> You're all welcome. No, it's the that's the the saddest part of writing in this current climate is so many shows you write and then well, especially in COVID, in this case, like you write them and then they go into production and all the writers are sort of released and and you know go on to other stuff. And you don't, you don't get to see all of that, the, how those parts of it come together, unless you get to be on set and get to be involved in editing and stuff. And so, which obviously as a viewer of the show, I was like, holy shit, these credits are amazing. Um, but I, it, it's just so knowing the people who are making the decisions, I was like, man, I really wish I could have seen like all the thought that went into that. Cause I'm sure there was. Yeah. Um, I love in the the series that you uh, we get to see a lot of Native American culture and community, and I was just curious how you go about that, um, and you know, accurately representing their culture and community. There was actually uh, we were really lucky to have the most amazing consultant ever uh, working with us. Um, was just incredibly collaborative and uh, instructional and helpful in terms of steering mm-hmm. us in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was actually our, uh, basically uh, there's a lot of scenes with uh, Seneca Nation members that he knew personally. And he was the one who ended up putting production in, in contact with them mm-hmm. to, so all of those, all of those people like sort of came from that that network um, mm-hmm. through through Caleb, our consultant. So and that even was, like costume yeah. pieces and stuff too. They would yeah. they would go to like actual uh, Seneca jewelers and stuff who were making things in a traditional way. And and like it, it was, I thought it was cool that he made it a point to not only try to portray the community as accurately as possible but also to like support the community by hiring people to be in you know background or small parts or purchasing clothing and jewelry and stuff from like artisans who are you know who have a business that kind of thing yeah that's really cool awesome uh on a different note we were also wondering how many people from the writing team of the original show returned for the reboot if any just one (laughs) Um, well, Clyde, I guess, technically, because he worked on yeah. the first four seasons of the original. But there is one man, uh, the other executive producer, the other writer executive producer on the show, Scott Reynolds, who was on all eight seasons of the original show, as well as New Blood. And we are so lucky to have had him. <laughs> yeah. And he's, well, he's like such an incredible writer. I mean, he worked on Jessica Jones and all this other stuff uh, in between. And he's just so talented. And he brought he would like single-handedly brought the lore of the original series um, as well as, you know, just a, a way, a world-class writing and producing ability. What was the writing schedule like? Like what were your deadlines like? How long did you prep for? 
we have we were uniquely positioned because this all happened during covid um so we were actually in the room for 43 weeks consecutively and then um once they sort of figured out production um they ended up filming after we wrote the mm. series so there was no overlap between production and writing just because of the nature of the pandemic um but i think it was one of those things where you know, Showtime knew it was an important property and they really cared about it a lot. And they're the executives who worked on it. Um, the president of Showtime was involved, you know, very personally and their feedback was like incredibly valuable and they wanted to make sure that they did it right. And so they wanted to make sure that the writing had time to get to the level that they wanted it to be. And they wanted to make sure the production had time to, you know, shoot everything and make it look like a you know like the the show that they wanted um and so i i think we really appreciated that they were willing to to actually invest in that and i think that helped certainly helped clyde get the show that he wanted yeah i think you can tell too like it's so well written yeah. um were you able to go on set at all we were not because it was just right in the heart of covid when they didn't have any oh, yeah. sort of um protocol like it was it was before the vaccines were out and there was just no protocol to like get writers to set even if we had flown ourselves there they wouldn't have let us on i don't think is there any possibility of a season two not that i don't not that we've heard about <laughs> i know there's like internet talk about harrison having like a spinoff but that might just be talking that not real I mean, well, look, again, you, our, our oh, phones are go. on, so. Yeah. <laughs> we, we love jobs, we love jobs. So. <laughs> does, the, does the internet have a Kickstarter going for this? Because we are happy <laughs> to just be the bank account the funds get deposited into. <laughs> um, so going back to New Blood and not on to the next season, um, uh, there's voiceover in it. And I, at least personally, have heard a lot of people say voiceover is easy and um, a lazy way of screenwriting. Uh, I am curious about your feeling on, both of your feeling on on voiceover and well, how, how to do it. Yeah, well, I'm just gonna like, again, we were very much, we're very much students of Clyde Phillips and he gives this answer a lot and it's, like sort of how I've ad adapted my my feelings around voiceover specifically when it pertains to Dexter. But uh, what serial killers do is heinous and awful and the worst of humanity. Thank God and we somebody said it. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's a really, really, really hot take. Um, but um, ultimately uh, allowing us in his head like allowing Dex, allowing access to Dexter's mind is what made him relatable and allowed for what he was doing to be more palatable. Um, so specifically uh, within the contrast of a, of a serial killer show, I think you kind of, if you're gonna, you know, want to follow this character's journey, you kind of have to see a little bit of yourself in him. And this is my take and this is not a Dexter take, but what I, what I, or like a higher up take. Um, but I, when I was getting into the show, what I saw personally was somebody who was um, different than the norm and who was desperately searching and looking for belonging. Mm -hmm. And by getting that voiceover, you are sort of, allowing yourself to relate to him because I, I think we all feel that we all want you know if they're like season one explores you know uh or season two explores can I have a friend season three explores can I have a girlfriend season four explores can I have a family and that's something that we all all feel and by gaining access to Dexter's mind we're able to relate to him in a way that we wouldn't otherwise if we didn't have that access and I think in a practical sense, there's nobody he can talk to because anyone who he could talk to about this would turn him into the police or they are the police in Dexter's case. And so just 
there's just, unless you can come up with another way to get in his head with the sort of specificity, it's sort of hard to do it without it. And, and when I think about that, to answer your sort of more general question about voiceover, because I've heard the same thing. It's sort of like, um, it can be a very easy way to get access to a character's thoughts. They just tell you. But I think one thing that Dexter does well, um, you know, really from the beginning is he's not just telling you what he's thinking. He's like making observations about the world around him that aren't just like, like for example, if his voiceover was like, well, I better go over to the office building and kill that guy now. And it was just sort of like a shorthand to express this character's, you know, very immediate want or something. It it wouldn't be as interesting. But if he's like equating himself to a crocodile floating in the swamp with like just his eyes poked out, you know, seeing all the people and waiting to strike, which I think is one of the episodes. Um, you're sort of getting a totally different picture into this guy's mind. And you may still receive the information that he's got to go to the office building and kill the guy, but you're also getting something way more interesting, which is like this character's point of view and emotional take on the world. Uh, Our next question, a little more general, do you have any writing advice for emerging writers in the industry? Yeah, allow yourself to be bad at it. Like, I think a lot of us sort of go in with like really, really good taste and um, not the skill set yet. And um, it's really, writing is really, really hard and it doesn't matter what <laughs> what level you are, like everybody struggles um, and every and it's vulnerable and it's challenging. And so much of uh, what you discover comes from those vomit drafts. So- I would just encourage people to like let go and try to have fun and know that this is like a learned skill and it's totally okay for that first draft to be a piece of shit because that's how it starts for all of us. And I think the more that you are are comfortable with being bad at it, the more that you're just going to sort of fall into being good at it. I love that advice. <laughs> I always need to remember that advice. Well, and, I, and kind of, to your point about like coming in with great taste, I think there's like a, an Ira Glass quote about how like your taste is usually, you know, better than your ability. And so then that makes you unhappy. Um, but the sort of flip side of that is it's very difficult to write something better than the best thing you can possibly imagine. So the more, so like having a good sense of taste that is like what you want it sort of ultimately it might make you feel like you're not achieving it in the moment but it's ultimately the thing that's going to drag your progress forward Mm -hmm. Um, assuming you keep writing which would be my general advice which is um, make sure you're actually writing Uh, I feel like when I when I first moved to LA I was like very convinced that I was writing a lot And then I went on some, I think it was like the writing pad or something. I went to look for classes. I was like, I should take a class. Deadlines are helpful. As I assume the people who host the Deadline Junkies podcast (laughs) are aware. Thank you for promoting us. (laughs) Yes. And and, And I was looking on their website and there was some part of where you're supposed to sign up and it was like, who, who should be taking these classes? And there was some like thing that was like, if you're not writing 10 hours a week, you're not a real writer, which I'm not saying it has to be that at all. But in that moment, I was like, I'm writing 10 hours a week. And then I started actually tracking it, you know, and I would write like a little bit before I went to work or like a little bit on an evening when my wife was like out with friends. And I, and I did like three or four weeks in a row and they all came out to like four, four and a half hours of writing. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, 10 hours is a lot of writing to squeeze in. Um, and so that really helped me reframe um, my own commitment to it. Not, not just like I should be writing 10 hours, but like, like sit down, actually put words on the page on some kind of page whether it's a notebook or a computer screen or whatever because it's so easy to like 
read an article about writing or like research the topic of your story or pace around coming up with ideas. And at the end of the day, I think I realize as I say this, I'm just backing into Alex's advice, which is like, just write and then don't worry about it. Uh, our boss likes to, our, our old boss on Dexter used to say, uh, what was it? Per perfection is the death of progress. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, it's, and I, I think that's so true. And I think, you know, we can be super hard on ourselves. And I think the minute that you just sort of let go is, is when you figure it yeah. out. And also I used to be, I still do like read a lot about and think a lot about writing and like try to have very things that I wish were profound thoughts about writing. But the end result is like so much of what you can teach about writing is sort of like very descriptive and not proscriptive, if that makes any sense. And if you think about it, like all of the best things, part of what makes them amazing is that they're, that they're organic and that they're not easily definable like there's something about them that sticks out that's weird that grabs your attention that the you know that bucks the expectations you have which is like the main thing you have to do to get people's attention in writing and and sometimes I think about it like you know if someone were to tell me the best proportions for a flower I wouldn't like, I, you know, that's effectively what they're doing. But like, when you go to a garden and you see like a really beautiful flower, you're not like, hmm, the third petal was supposed to start 75% uh, of the way around the flower. <laughs> you know, you're just like, wow, I can't believe I'm looking at this one of a kind thing that exists in the world and, and doesn't apologize for it. Well, did you just come up yeah. with that metaphor on the spot? Or is that something to think about? I did, but I'm going to write it down after this in case anyone ever asks again. It's really good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so are you guys working on any projects that you want to talk about or have any idea of what might be next for you? Always working on, I think that's our favorite thing is that to always have something else going on. Even after Dexter, we tried to keep like regular writing hours during the days. Mm -hmm. Um, which is one of the main, one of many things that I'm so grateful to have Alex uh, in my life for, is that we can sort of keep each other on task. Um, but the weird thing about the, the industry right now is that everything has such a long lead time and everything is NDA. Uh, like the, I think the main, the only thing that we may be able to talk about is that we we did a couple of freelance episodes for the Netflix series Polly Pocket, which was very very fun. A very natural progression after you know zero <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but like everything else, you know, I feel like we have we have a, a thing in development that we can't talk about, and then we we're working on another show right now that isn't announced and we can't talk about, and I just. And I feel like we're not rich enough yet to like flaunt that kind of thing. I'm glad you have all these things that you can't talk about. It's, it's a good thing. Um, but the fun thing, and I think the thing I try to keep in mind is that when we get to write our own stuff, even if it's not sold to anywhere or, you know, in development or uh, whatever, that's some of the most like that's what we got into this by that's how we fell into this trap was because we really liked writing stuff and um i think no matter how many other things are going you know career-wise business-wise whatever we always try to keep one project at least that's just like a thing we really want to write whether or not it has you know whatever its potential may be outside of that you mentioned like regular working hours, even after Dr. New Blood, uh, like what are those hours? Is it like specific times every day? Are you better in the morning or at night or mid-afternoon? I think we were writing, uh, well, Dexter, New Blood, post-pandemic, the hours became 10 to four, mm -hmm. um, not post-pandemic, when the pandemic yeah. started, that's what our Zoom hours became. And then we were pretty good about keeping those mm -hmm. throughout until we got our next job. Yeah. Um, 
which our next job became nine to three. Um, <laughs> but if we, if we, <laughs> if uh, next time, you know, we find ourselves without employment, I hope we go back to 10 to four because I, to answer your other part of the question, am not a morning person. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> Despite having a dog named coffee, that's not enough to wake you up. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Um, I, I conversely am a morning person. I wasn't originally like when I was doing comedy, so much of that's at night. And I love being out and about and like seeing human beings. So the past couple of years have been tough. But like, in the process of trying to find time to write, I realized that if I just got up and did it, then no one can take that away from me later in the day. Um, and I also find that my brain in the morning, very tangible problems uh, have a way of like occupying my thoughts that make it hard to like push them aside and write. And I feel like, and I shouldn't say problems, but just like things to do, you know, it's like, oh, and it's sometimes it's work related, like emails you have to respond to, you know, people who you, you want to like read and, and give feedback. Sometimes it's just life stuff like hey, we need to send out an invitation for the Renaissance Fair weekend we're trying to plan with friends or whatever. Dork, um, dork. <laughs> Thank you. Alex is not on that list, so <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> but like all of those things sort of cascade throughout the day and it makes it, makes it much, much harder for me to focus at night. Uh, you know, you can if you have to, but um, I find it is easier to write in the morning and then I can feel good. Like I did, I did the main thing today and everything else I'll figure out as I go. Last question. Uh, what's your favorite, yeah, favorite thing you're watching now or, or of all time? What's your favorite show or shows? Oh God. <laughs> you can think if you I want. I feel like I've been making you go first for everything. And I was like, when this, when you were about to ask the question, I was like, okay, I've been putting Alex on the spot. I'll go first this time. And then he asked it and I was like, wonder what Alex is thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I Dexter, mean, obviously. <laughs> Dexter. Well, we both collectively fell in love with yellow jackets this past mm. year like was it was such a unique fun experience with like actors that we grew up loving like watching them thrive in you know their mid to late 40s still mm. sexy and edgy and awesome and cool and I'm very much a sucker for that 90s era uh, of pop culture and uh, I'm just happy to be in the presence of you know the plaid shirts um a girl that we're working with now though did point out that it's super unrealistic uh the lack of body hair <laughs> that they have uh being stranded uh in a forest um oh, yeah. spoilers spoilers <laughs> and then uh body oh, hair spoilers. that's fine body hair spoilers and then uh if you need to pick me up abbott elementary is it and then um yes, it's, so it's so good, good. It's, so lovely and then um I fall asleep every single night to the office every mm. single night I know nice. everything about the office mm -hmm. I love it so much with my whole heart I think yeah. it is deep and interesting and explores really complex relationships and is also just silly and dumb I just I think it's great I, I I've never sobbed more than an episode than season six when Michael proposes to Holly sorry other spoiler and I was like <laughs> how is a hard comedy making me sob and it's just because I ended up caring so much about all of those characters like I think especially the times that we're living in it's really important to reach for those those uh shows that bring you levity and and that's definitely mine for sure Mark, did you have oh, enough man. time to think of something? <laughs> no, I mean, I love all of all of the things that Alex said. Also, The Good Place was a recent one that I that I really loved. Um, but I feel like I like all time ones. I feel like I want to I would be remiss if I didn't mention Mystery Science Theater, which <laughs> is just such a go. -to. I don't it was just like a part of my childhood and uh, probably formational in ways that were damaging to me as a human being in the world. But um, 
it's just such a fun show that made me love even bad movies for like what all the choices that people had to make in them. Um, and then I also, I also grew up really loving um, Firefly, even though Joss Whedon's not fun to talk about anymore. Um, I shouldn't say not fun to talk about. Joss Whedon, we're not going to get into it here, but hey, uh, read up on it if you don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, it's such a, you know, I want to be appropriate about the response, like the, the work that he made, I enjoy. Um, but his actions. Uh, Buffy, I gotta say, Buffy is pretty all time for me. Yeah, I like, yeah. I watched uh, my roommate when the pandemic hit, uh, was obsessed with Buffy growing up. He, like, Buffy is his office, basically. And when the pandemic hit, and you know, we're hit with all this new free time, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna give it a whirl. And I was like, oh my God, this show makes you wanna be a better writer, a better sister, a better human in this world. I, I love Buffy so much and it's probably one I'll do a rewatch for eventually. I think it's Rand's favorite show as well. It is my favorite show, yeah. Yeah. Really? Oh my God, what's your favorite season? Uh, Season probably three, but then episode, the musical. (laughs) I love the musical so much. I, very hot take, Uh, it's very unpopular. Season six is my favorite season. Same. Yeah. Was that because you were a Spike girl? Uh, well, Spike really gets hot for me. Uh, season six not a, is not a great time for Spike. Um, I, I won't get into why, but oh yeah. Um, oh wait, I'm you, sorry. Yeah, right. but uh, <laughs> um, I just uh, I, I thought season five the ending was so brilliant, and I think it was just like emotionally true what Buffy was going through that time. And in general, I just think people are a little bit more interesting when they're a little bit messier. And um, there's this line, uh, sorry, can I spoil season six finale of Buffy? Uh, I think you're more than two two. of something. It's been two, it's been two two of something. There you go. Um, I, uh, (laughs) uh, when uh, Willow sort of is losing her mind and she gets like addicted to dark magic and all that stuff and she's about to create like a worldwide apocalypse, Xander goes up to her and he's just like, you're literally about to bring down the end of the world and I still want to hang out and uh I think that's really what friendship is is accepting and loving people um and then also wanting better for them and it just like made me sob I think I was going through something also probably emotional at the time (laughs) like yes this is what it is this is what unconditional love is um yeah I just love it I thought it was such a great season Oh yeah, um, uh, yeah. That Firefly, I also really enjoyed. Um, Battlestar Galactica, the tw- early to mid two thousands reboot of it, um, and then all the things that Alex said that are on right now. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, that's all the questions we have for you today. Thank you so much, Mark and Alex, for joining us, sharing your stories and your insights, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having us. This, this has so, been so, so much, much fun. fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Subscribe, rate, and review for more episodes. Thanks for listening to the Deadline Junkie Screenwriting Podcast.